0: Hello and welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Today is Friday, January 6th, 2006. This is your host, Stephen Novella, President of the New England Skeptical Society. Joining me today are the usual suspects, uh, my brother Bob Novella. Hello everyone. Perry DeAngelis. Happy New Year. And Evan Bernstein.
1: Good afternoon everyone.
0: Happy New Year everyone. This is our first uh, episode for the 2006 year. And I'm going to get right to our guest on this episode. Uh, We are starting the year out with a a fabulous guest, James Randi. James Randi is a renowned skeptical investigator and educator. Uh, He began his career as a professional magician uh, performing under the name The Amazing Randi and now runs the James Randi Educational Foundation, which you can uh, visit their website at randy.org. Um, The JREF, as we call it, administers the famous Million Dollar Psychic Challenge, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, Randy is known as the scourge of hucksters, con artists, charlatans, and quacks everywhere as he delights in exposing their lies and deceptions. Lectures extensively on critical thinking, on skepticism, and exposing fraud, the author of numerous books, including The Mask of Nostradamus and Flim Flam. Randy, welcome to The Skeptic's Guide. Welcome, Randy. I doubt that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us. We appreciate you coming on.
1: Pleasure to be here for my first visit, and I think I should announce right off the top that uh, starting early in February, uh, we will be doing uh, a podcast via our own website uh, at www.randy.org. It's something I should have gotten into some time ago, frankly, Steve, and uh, Mm -hmm. happy to be in on yours and going to start my own.
0: Excellent. Another another skeptical podcast is always a good thing.
2: Uh, Randy, good. Do, do you anticipate a, a weekly or a monthly podcast?
1: Oh, it'll be weekly.
2: Weekly. Okay. Yep. I'm sure, it's going to be very popular.
1: Well, I hope so. We'll see. Yeah, Actually,
0: we have been talking with, uh, I believe, Linda and some of your people about having a one-stop shopping for skeptical podcasts or at least uh, mutual links so somebody, people can go to one location and access all of the skeptical podcasts that are being made out there. There's only a few of them. I mean, there's Skepticality, there's our podcast, there's, the, there's one in England, and yours would be the fourth that I know of. I don't know if you know of any others.
1: Not offhand. No, I don't. I don't.
0: So, why don't we start by talking about um, your favorite psychic, Sylvia Brown?
1: No, no, my favorite, my favorite claimed psychic. Claimed psychic. <laughs> it's always implied, because there are no such things as psychics. Uh, so,
0: do you want to just give us the update? Tell us about Sylvia's uh, fabulous performance on Coast to Coast the other night.
1: I haven't heard it yet. Uh, I'm, it's been sent to me. Uh, in some form or another whereby I can listen to it. But, uh, I haven't done that yet. Uh, she, she so grates me and her voice is so gravelly to say the least. Uh, you know, this is my invitation of uh, Sylvia Brown. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. right. And, and, and that's doing her credit. Um, I haven't listened to it, but I have gotten enough excerpts from it word for word that it's pretty obvious she had a, a serious flub. Right. That's the only way you can describe it. And, uh, and yet people have said to me, uh, I was just speaking with, uh, what was his name, uh, Roger Friedman uh, of...
0: Uh well, the Fox News did a, re-
1: did a Fox. report a It's it. Fox yeah. News. That I, have that ar- yeah, yeah, I have that
0: article in front of me, actually.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, he missed something in that article, obviously. He said that the challenge had never been accepted. Well, it's been accepted by hundreds of people. Right. And uh, particularly by Sylvia Brown, with an E. Uh, Sylvia accepted that back in... Was it 2001 or something? I forgot. 2001. How far 2001. Yeah. yeah. And it's been up on our webpage ever since, as you know. You can click on it. We've got a new clicker on our uh, on our webpage this week, and it's to download the video, 50 seconds of it, from the Larry King show, that she, Larry King Live, pardon me, show that she did back then on that date in which she very distinctly accepts, yes, she will accept the challenge, and she will accept the test. And then, of course, her first excuses right off the bat, uh, within the first month or so, were, I don't know how to contact Randy. Uh, right. Da! I mean, <laughs> let's wow. face it, this is a psychic, and she doesn't <laughs> even know how to use the phone book? I don't think so.
0: Yeah, you're really hard to track down, Randy. I mean, yeah
1: hard to find me. Google knows nothing about me, of course but uh she finally uh gave up on on that particular aspect and she simply turned away all our mail that is email and registered and certified mail refused it all we did get a delivery to her office though by a fellow who lives within sight of her office and i better not specify anything more or he'll be getting grenades through the window uh he went over actually disguised as a messenger walked in and put an envelope down on the desk and then walked out and uh, apparently, it well, I, I would imagine it got to Sylvia, but it didn't have my name on the outside or any letterhead. It was just addressed to Sylvia Brown, so she heard about it. She knows very well about the challenge. Right. She's right. always known about it.
0: Now, yeah, I saw that clip on your website, and although she, you know, accepted the challenge because she had to, she was on the spot. She had a had a decidedly sour look on her face. She clearly was unhappy about being put on the spot about that. And I know, as you said, you know, before. Con artists don't want to take this test. Only of people course. who
1: are the people who are self-deluded are the ones who take the test. Con artists know they can't pass the test. Well, in a couple of cases, we have had some knowing fakes, uh, not not with the million-dollar challenge, but some years ago when it was only a thousand dollars. I had them take me up on it, but they backed out very quickly because they found out something which rather disappointed them. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right. Right.
0: Uh-huh.
1: That's right. You know what the,
0: the uh, tricks are. But let's get back to the uh, the, uh, the recent flap of uh, Sylvia Brown. So I have some of the some of the transcript here. Basically, the um, there was a recent uh, incident where 13 miners were trapped in a coal mine explosion, and everyone was very anxiously waiting to see what the outcome of this would be. It, it didn't look very good. It looked the, the news looked very grim. Uh, in the in Late uh, at night, or early morning, actually, at the time when she happened to be on the Coast to Coast show, the news came out that most of the miners had been found alive, uh, which was very, very, very shocking and surprising, because nobody was expecting that.
3: That was just around midnight.
0: Right. And you know, Perry was actually watching this live. He was, right. You were caught up in that, weren't you, Perry? Yes,
3: I watched the whole thing.
0: And uh, Brown... The, the news was given to Brown on the Coast to Coast show, and she responded that she knew that they were going to be found. That oh, she knew that they were, awesome. that they were alive. She, and then, you know, uh, sometime after that, I think it was a couple hours in real time. It was, it
3: was about quarter to three, two, or, two uh, the, or three hours. The news
0: came out that it was all an error, that, that 12 of the 13 miners were, in fact, dead, and the 13th was in critical condition. And, and Brown was given that news, you know, on the show, and how did she react? She to totally collapsed. What could she do? She just backtracked and fumbled and said, uh, "Oh, I don't think there's anybody alive." She says, "Maybe one." You know, how crazy for them to report that they were alive when they weren't. Um, so it was an utter, utter, open-faced failure on her part. Um, not not the first time, but uh, it was particularly poignant because of the the um, the Really, incredibly erroneous news report that had came out took her utterly by surprise.
1: Yeah, well, uh, we refer to that I think, Steve, as a fiasco. Is it fiasco? <laughs> That's being generous, I think. The yeah, box. now I've got to point out something, if I may, here. Sure. Um, Sylvia said something to Nuri after the thing had, had been reversed, mm-hmm. and as you as you just mentioned, she tried to uh, to feed them back exactly the same message. That she had given them before, but turned around. Right. In other words, uh, she she knew that was the case, and she also said, "Well, I didn't say they were alive. Duh. I mean, any kind of excuse." But she also said something else, which sort of got by everyone. She said, "Remember, I was on here with you." Now, what she's trying to imply by that is that since she was busy doing that radio program, she didn't have the means to uh, look at at, uh, CNN or any other news source and find out that it was exactly the opposite uh, to what had been represented. And... What people don't recognize, necessarily, is that she was on the telephone with Nuri. She wasn't in the studio with him. She was on the telephone, so she had access, and she had people all around her who could rush up to her with a piece of paper and stick it under her nose, of course. So uh, that, that might have gotten by a lot of people. She had every means of finding out that she was wrong. That's right. Uh, she, could, she could have been doing
0: what we're doing right now, just sitting in front of a computer with pulling up websites and getting access to, to real-time news while, while we're talking on the show. Sure. Um, but it didn't help her in this case, obviously, because the news was false, uh, and, and it just led her to make that uh, erroneous statement. But this is, I mean, this is what we see all the time, is whenever there's a high-profile national case, whether it's, you know, Chandra Levy, a missing person or whatever, the, the psychics never seem to predict these major unexpected events. Never. It's not never. strange. Isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that odd? So, but still, uh, Sylvia Brown refuses to take the, uh, the psychic challenge, and yet the, the day counter, I noticed, has turned into a week counter. I guess there were too many digits for the day counter. Yeah, we, we couldn't keep up with it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we could go to a year counter eventually at some point. Or but centuries, but, uh, who
2: knows? I saw Sylvia on uh, a Larry King episode just uh, about ten days ago with, uh, with Von Prague, and, and some psychic I wasn't familiar with, uh, I believe her name was Char,
1: Char Margolis, yes. Okay, yeah. And uh, and,
2: it, and and one of the uh, one of the token skeptics uh, really had it in for Sylvia because of the whole million dollar prize, and and she um, she came up with some lame excuse about how um, you know she really can't do it because other people that have tried to do it have had trouble and it's not fair and, and just all these lame excuses. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to say that.
3: Yeah, that's what they all say whenever we bring up Randy's challenge to. Any sort of paranormal kook, they they simply say it's unfair and they, you know, right. it's, it's all nonsense. Yeah,
2: I, I, I have a, I just have a, I have a couple comments about the, the million dollar prize. I I just like you guys. I just the million dollar prize I think is such a great feather in the skeptic's cap because what could these paranormalists say about this? You know that why why don't they just do this? I mean, there's not one greedy uh, paranormalist in the country that that won't you know that won't that Won't take a trip down to Florida and uh, and, and try no, no, to no, no, win this no,
1: no. money. No, let, let's uh, let, let's let uh, kill that rumor right there. You don't have to take a trip down to Florida. That's the right. point. Uh, uh, we can have anybody who who makes application for the prize, and this is 97 percent of them so far uh, have been tested right where they are. Very okay. very few people have come to Florida. Uh, the only people who have ever come to Florida, uh, two women from. Um, uh, Lithuania, as a matter of fact, who came all the way over, we insisted they don't, that we could have them tested there and we had the people all set up for it, but they actually got on a plane and came over here and of course they uh-huh. fell on their collective nose Right, right. Um right. and but we have had people who live right here in Florida a matter of an hour or so away who have driven into the uh to the foundation here and have been tested. Uh-huh. But I, I couldn't let that go by. Pardon me for interrupting That's you. Okay. No, no, you. No you, in, you, in you fact
0: know, it, Bob misspoke. In fact we've we've tested several applicants locally here in Connecticut yeah. for you. So, so you it's, have yeah, people regionally all over the place who, who could do the testing.
1: It's but certainly not necessary for anyone to travel to Florida. We'll do it right where they happen to be.
2: Now, there's, there's a couple misconceptions of misconceptions about the prize that, that I'd like you to, to talk about a little bit. I mean, a lot of people know about it, but there's still some people persist in believing, uh, you know, th- these problems with the prize, such as, you know, oh, does he really have the money? and also that it's inconvenient and a, and a problem or troublesome for a real, a real paranormalist. Could you kind of address those issues to you know, kind of assuage their some of these feelings that people have the, about the money and the fact that it's, it's a difficult process, you know, it's, it's not fair in essence to the people with the real ability? Well, rather than going through a lot of details on it,
1: I'll say this. Uh, we have a FAQ uh, section under the, the challenge on our webpage. If you click on the, the challenge there, you'll come to FAQs. That's all handled beautifully in there. Briefly, I'll get into it. The point, first of all, the, the big objection right off the bat is, uh, no, there is no million dollars. Well, uh, we get rid of that very easily. All anyone has to do is make a phone call, send an email, get on a fax, whatever means, anything short of, of telepathy, better than telepathy, I should say. Uh, they have to get on the line and get a hold of us and simply ask for a copy of the, the proof of it. And we send them a Goldman Sachs document. We we refresh it every month because they send us monthly documents saying the total amount that's in that account. Now, we're only liable for one million of that. I think currently it's at $1.1 million. Uh, or, or some such amount, we take the interest off the top of it every now and then. So the fact that the prize money is available cannot be argued. It's right. there. It's not, only that, yeah, not only that, uh, it is actually titled, the name of the account is the James Randi Educational Foundation Prize Account. And it's specified that it can't be used for any purpose except to be awarded to a person who will pass the simple test.
3: Excellent. Very simple.
1: Now, other other questions you had there, you were saying that it, it's difficult. Well, how do they know it's difficult if they don't know what the test is going to be? Right. Now, I, I frequently get calls from people or emails from people saying, how do you test these people? What a dumb question. That's like saying, how do you play the violin, you know, in, in 20 words or less? Um, it depends on what their claim is, as I've said so often, you claim you can fly by flapping your arms, just step over to the window and we'll have this test done in a few seconds. Whoops, you lose. Uh, these are very easy tests to do. They're very direct, they're very simple, and we don't design the test. Now that's very important that we Absolutely. specify that. We do not design the test. We can assist in the, in the design, the protocol, uh, design, of course. But, <coughs> pardon me, I'm emotionally overcome here. Um, <laughs> We, what we do is we work with the claimant, the applicant, I should say, because they haven't become a claimant yet. We work with the applicant to devise a test that the applicant and ourselves will agree is a fair, proper, and definitive test. That's where the big rub is in this thing. Some people we've argued with, one fellow for four and a half years a Ph.D. out of California. We argued with him for four and a half years over how to establish a protocol, and he kept changing his mind all the time. So we will, we will design
0: one. I mean, they're just they're just grasping at straws, really. They're just trying to claim that the prize hasn't been won because it's unfair. But they really have nothing to back up that claim. That's just a way to dismiss the, what are the real implications of but there's
1: it. There's another thing going here too. They also claim that the prize has already been won and that I've refused to award it. Now, many people have claimed this, uh, right. uh, but th- these are people we've never heard of before. When they give me their names, I look them up in our records. We haven't got any trace of them whatsoever. But this, again, is the only way most of these people have out. And in some European country, they can get away with that. Mm-hmm. And then the local broadcasters will say, ah, now we know that you actually won the prize, but James Randy wouldn't pay off. Of course, they don't bother to contact me.
0: Well, that would be doing real journalism.
1: Yeah, you wouldn't want to have that happen. They can't be bothered with that. No, no, no.
0: So, talking about, um, I should say, infamous pseudo-psychics that uh, are gun-shy now of the Randy Psychic Challenge, uh, before Sylvia Brown, there was Uri Geller. Uh, who <laughs> right who who's, who's not certainly not what he used to be but his I still see his name popping up all the time there was a um i guess a, recently he was on a radio show where somebody mentioned your challenge and he, he you you talked about this i think 2 weeks ago on on your online journal swift oh yeah and, and he promptly you know insisted that the caller be cut off and says i refuse to deal with all skeptics and cynics you know, lumping lumping skepticism and cynicism
1: together uh, have you any recent run-ins with him, or is he, he a history? More importantly than that, he said that he hasn't been doing spoon-bending for ten years. Duh! <laughs> he does it every opportunity he gets, because he doesn't have anything else.
0: That's all he could do, is just <laughs> simple, a stick.
1: simple conjuring. You know, that's like saying that Fred Astaire, you know, gave up dancing. Yeah, right. What else did he do, you know? <laughs> Poetry? Uh, juggling? I don't think so. No. This is ridiculous. He's a one-trick uh, pony, this guy, and he bends spoons. That's what he does. He doesn't do anything else. He doesn't tap dance either. Yeah,
0: he's, he's pathetic. Uh, he. Uh, I, I, the thing that, I don't know if, don't know if this is actually true, but he claimed to be earning, this is a few years ago, uh, a million dollars or more, um, being a dowsing consultant, basically telling companies where to drill for water or oil <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's unfortunately believable that he could that he could actually scam you know companies out of money like that. It, it always galls
1: me when these con con artists you know rip people off for such huge sums. Well, there's a more more of a con to it than uh, than you uh, folks may realize. That not only uh, is the, the basic claim a con, but the claim about the claim is a con, because he said that he's been paid millions uh, by these people. He hasn't. He was paid paid something like, I think, $30,000 by uh, Xanax, was it, in uh, mm-hmm. Australia, I believe. Uh, I, I don't remember that whole history. Uh, he's got such a long and sordid history that it's hard to remember all the details. Uh, and they wanted their money back. <laughs> Oh.
0: So it's a phony fraud. It's, yeah. not, it's not even a real fraud. No, a fake fraud. That's, that's the a worse kind. Right.
2: right. You know p- p- part of me part of me thinks that you know if these companies are just so naive enough to to go in with that, I I have, you know, very little hard feelings for them that okay, uh, well that let, lost let, let's all that money. be
1: let's be a little kinder about that. Huh? I know. Sanix
2: Xanax was not a
1: company that was fooled by Geller, no. It was their uh, their CEO who independently, and they sued him for it afterwards, who independently mm-hmm. uh, decided to give the money to uh, uh, to Geller. And he did that without the board approval, and that's why they turned on him, because I'm it was an that. individual who was enamored of, uh, of Geller. That's right. I okay. I mean, you, you
0: can think of corporate entities as being, you know, large anonymous things, but really real people get hurt, people who have stock, people who, you know, have their retirement accounts and their employees, you know. If, so even even though it may be a big company that's being defrauded, you know, it's, individual people still get hurt. Of course, we do. It's easier to get emotionally upset when it's, you know, a little old lady who gets screwed out of her retirement money, I and mean, that's always a little bit more easy to sympathize with. But I think wherever the con occurs – there's always an innocent victim somewhere who was harmed by it.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. And In fact, it adds to the the whole public view of miracles and such, and it mm-hmm. promotes it. So that that's harm that's done right there.
0: That's right. That's sort of the indirect harm, is anything that promotes belief in the supernatural, uh, anti-scientific modes of thinking, uh, has a ripple effect of harm that may not be immediately apparent. Often, uh, I, th- I think the most tangible Place where that causes harm is in healthcare. Um, I know you don't do many of many of the, the challenges don't inter- involve direct health claims, but you have investigated medical scams before. I know. That I think the two that come to mind are psychic surgery. And the, uh, the French homeopathy researcher Ben Veniste.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I remember you gave a very, very um, entertaining lecture about uh, your investigations. Of, it's Jacques Ben Veniste, right? Is that, that's his name? Jacques, yes. Jacques. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you tell us about that? How did that go?
1: Well, uh, I was called. Uh, well, I'm trying to think of years again. I've had so many years, I'm not <laughs> good at recalling years. Um, I was called when I. Um, uh when I first moved to Florida, I was called by uh, Sir jo- uh, well, John Maddox, who was now Sir John Maddox, pardon me. Uh, Sir John Maddox, who was the editor of uh, Nature magazine at that time. Now, as you probably know, Nature is one of the uh, highest ranking science journals, scientific mm-hmm. journals, I should say, in the whole world. And um, he called me and he asked me if I would be interested in uh, going off to Clamar, a little town outside of Paris uh, to investigate this thing. And I said that I wasn't terribly familiar with it, but I would familiarize myself with it. And uh, so we agreed to go along with Walter Stewart, who at that time was working for the National Institutes of Health in Washington. Walter was... uh, rather dedicated to uh, exposing quackery, and he had come upon an awful lot of it in his uh, work with the NIH. So I agreed to do that, but hardly had I hung up the phone before the phone rang again, and lo and behold, there was Benveniste himself, whose English was excellent, very well-educated man. And uh, he said how pleased he was to know that I was coming along uh, to Paris because I would have a possibly alternate point of view, little did he dream. Right. Uh, how alternate, uh, and that that would be very welcome in the investigation, etc. And uh, he was, was happy to have me aboard. Uh, that, as I, as I suggest to you, rapidly changed after I arrived. And um, we went over. Uh, I was accosted by two leading French scientists in the lobby of the hotel the minute I arrived who took me aside and told me that I was doing a very, very bad thing here, that I was questioning the integrity and the ability of a leading French scientist. And I said, well, you know, after all, he's making a claim, which is not very uh, believable. Uh, I'm willing to believe, but we have to see the evidence. We have to see the experiments done. Oh, but this just isn't done, Mr. Randy, and particularly because you're not an academic. Uh, no academic would do this, which I suspect is quite true. Uh, and, but they were just astonished that I would dare to do something like this. Now, I don't think they were sent by Benveniste. They were just genuinely alarmed that I was disturbing the the French academic world. And indeed, I was. So to make the the story much shorter, we we did. We went in. We saw a whole series of tests. They they started their tests all over again, did a whole run for us. And we found out quickly that it was not being done in in, uh, in a legitimate manner at all, that uh, they were cutting a lot of corners that uh, that when we double-blind controlled the samples, that is, we took the samples that they had already labeled and we relabeled every one of them in a closed area and recorded uh, on video the whole process so it couldn't be doubted that that's what was done. We actually videoed it from the moment that the lab assistant brought the tubes to us and laid them down on the table and kept it in... In cam- on camera at all times with no interruptions and had a continuous audio track going in the back. Uh, we recorded that way and on paper and then showed the paper in close-up on the video camera to show that we had recorded exactly what had happened. And uh, we then asked the lab assistant to come back into the lab and pick up the tubes again, which were now relabeled uh, so that if they knew which ones were had been treated and which ones had uh, hadn't they couldn't uh, use any influence on them except if homeopathy really worked so he did the test and no significance was shown whatsoever and of course then they came up with the rationalizations which went on up until Ben uh, uh death a matter of a few months ago
0: right uh, yeah I think I recall you saying that they were scoring the, the plates uh, basically counting like the number of bacterial colonies or something in a, in a yeah. non-blinded fashion and they were counting them based upon whether or not it was
1: supposed to have been
0: a response to a homeopathic remedy or not.
1: Yeah, and as a matter of fact, uh, you see, there were some controls. Now, the controls uh, were outside of the whether or not it was treated uh, set of samples. In other words, you had a, a, a basic set of samples there, X number of tubes, about half of which had been treated with the homeopathic compound and half that hadn't, and then you had some blanks. This is what we call the controls. Uh, You've got to get the nomenclature clear here. And uh, Elizabeth Davina, the the one who was doing the counting under the microscope, on one one occasion she was sitting at the microscope and um, she... It was counting with a little clicker in her hand, you know, one of these uh, digital... Yeah. She uh, And she was going click, 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 click. She stopped, looked at the number, like it was 15 or something, and she recorded 15 on her sheet. And then she took this slide out. And as she was going to put it back. She looked at it, and she put it back in the microscope again. And Walter Stewart, who was standing there, said, what's wrong? She said, oh, no, that's a control. And she counted again, and she got something like four this time. Oh. Now, counting these things, you're counting something that doesn't show up very clearly in the microscope slide. You have to make a, a, a judgment, judgment call, call yeah. on whether or not it's a it's an exploded basophile or not. More just a so bubble. It's, it's, right. Yeah, it's not like an, an A or B or it's there or it's not there. It's it's a decision that you have to make. It's an evaluation. So that showed that since she recognized that was a control, it shouldn't have had any exploded basophils on it. Uh, it, it should have been just blank
0: mm-hmm.
1: so anyway uh, so that's uh, that, that basic example. I mean, that's yeah. like
0: a, an extremely basic thing in science is having oh, absolutely. Ob- uh, objective outcome measures and blinded scoring so that you yeah. can't bias it's, gotta it it. right. it's got to be double blinded and double
1: blinded not right. just single blinded it's got to be double blinded and by that we mean I, I might as well explain to those who, who don't know I'm sure you guys do but uh, double blinded simply means that No one who is involved in the experiment and present at the experiment knows what the results are supposed to be or what the judgment call should be. Right.
0: Uh, And the absence of that really invalidates their entire line of research, which you you showed very dramatically. Let me ask you a question. John Maddox asked you to do this. Was there any publication... That resulted from your investigation? I mean, was Oh, well, yes. You, where,
1: where was that published? Uh, that was in Nature. It, it was published in it, Nature. It followed okay. within a week in Nature, yeah. They rushed it to, to get it in there because they were getting so many questions from all over the world. What were the results? What were the results? Right. And they published it in Nature. And uh, then they did a replication, I think something like a year or so after that, an attempted independent replication. And though there were some puzzling results in it, and I've forgotten exactly what those were, uh, certainly the replication showed uh, the same kind of results. It was basically negative. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, Maddox had um, agreed to publish in Nature at one point a meta-analysis of homeopathy clinical trials. And he did it. Um, he says after the fact, uh, he wanted to, he published it in Nature in order to to spur debate about the topic. Yes. But what in fact happened was the scientific community was utterly disinterested in debating the topic, and the homeopathic community just used that as endorsement of homeopathy. And Maddox later said that that was the worst decision he ever made as an editor. Now, in uh, chronologically, did he ask you to do this test after that meta analysis? Do you know this is this sort of his way of making up for that error that 's you good not question. sure i
1: don't i 'm not sure at all no i don 't really know i haven 't been in touch with John for a couple of years now
0: yeah. uh, sir John
1: pardon me yes
0: he- uh, it, it's, it's incredible. I mean, I think it was an example of a, obviously, he's a, a world-renowned, you know, uh, scientist, you know, again, publisher of, again, Nature, which is the most prestigious basic science journal in the world. And he uh, was so easily um, blindsided by the homeopaths, basically because he didn't realize, which is what I perceive in, in my colleagues and in general in the medical and scientific field, they don't realize that the alternative medicine crowd and you know, paranormalists in general are not playing by the same rules of fairness that scientists exactly. are playing by. Exactly. Uh, and, and it completely blindsided him. When, when now, there's happened. something
1: else here to be considered. Uh, John was surprised that the world of science wasn't terribly interested in what nature had done. But if he had published something on, uh, as they call him Father Christmas, or we know him as Santa Claus, and flying reindeer, they would have been equally uninterested, because they knew from the beginning that this concept of homeopathy is juvenile. It's Uh, it's not worthy of consideration, but it is worthy of consideration. And I'll, I'll jump to Carl Sagan here. Carl Sagan used to get scolded all the time people would say to him, and I heard one man say to him at Cornell, uh, Carl, you're an astronomer. You should be doing astronomy. But Carl was much more useful than as a mere astronomer because he brought all of this crap to the public attention and he fought the battle valiantly uh, against pseudoscience, as we know. And the same thing happens with uh, with scientists who look and they say, who the hell cares about homeopathy? That's nonsense. But... The public cares about it, and the public is being victimized by it. And that's—they don't seem to have enough social sense or social responsibility that they should get in there as as they did at one point uh, with astrology and said, "Hey, astrology is total nonsense." And objections to astrology is what gave rise to the uh, to the formation of Psychop, uh, right. Committee for Scientific Investigation mm-hmm. of Claims of the Paranormal, many many years ago.
0: That's right. And, you know, I work within the field of medicine, uh, and I find the exact same thing, that your rank-and-file academic scientist and even just, you know, clinical practitioner, uh, they think that the whole body of, of you know, spiritual medicine and, and so-called complementary alternative medicine is just nonsense. It's really not worthy of their time and attention and academics have this sense that it's tainted, that somehow if they if they deal with it in any way, it's silly and it, it sort of is a smudge on their academic reputation, and they really just don't want to touch it with a ten foot pole. But as you say, I totally agree with you that that what that leads to is the uh, the paranormalists having free reign, yeah, exactly. essentially free reign to defraud the public and to, and to carry on their own agenda, and it's really. Uh, it's very disconcerting, and there's really a very small number of scientists. Um, it's, the number's greater than zero, fortunately, but there's, it's a very small number of scientists who, like Carl Sagan and like others, see this problem and actively take it on. Uh, exactly. But it, but you know sometimes it's, you know, we feel like a you know the, the uh, voice crying in the wilderness. It's it's hard to to get people to listen to us, you know.
1: Very true. Very
0: the, true. People are either true believers or they don't care. That's right. And and Steve. Yeah. So
2: I, I, I think it'd be great to have more scientists uh, talking about that just just like you do but um, I'm also afraid like like you touched on earlier that just because someone's a scientist uh, doesn't mean that they are an expert in in other you know fields that that aren't in, in their domain or they're not they're not familiar with like you said they're not playing with it by the same rules so Very true. I mean, sometimes you might this might force scientists to actually endorse some of these things because they're hoodwinked like the, like the average Joe citizen as well because they're just not familiar with the, the techniques like right. say, like a magician would be, someone who's familiar with uh, you know, psychology and how people believe in misdirection and sleight of hand. So that's... That's right. It it could be a double-edged sword.
0: Well, amazingly, not all scientists are skeptics. Uh, Or or they may think that they are, but they're just not equipped to deal with this world,
1: the world of deception. And not all of them have the expertise that they need to have. Uh, A thing about scientists that that strikes me very strongly is they saw a paper on it. Well, so and so is a Ph.D., and he published a paper on it. They seem to believe, many of them, not all of them by any means, but many of them tend to believe that if it's written by a legitimate guy with Ph.D. after his name, that it's got to be so. Now, science doesn't prove anything, and I think... That's that's something that shocks a lot of people to hear me say it. Science doesn't discover facts. Science discovers statements about the universe around us, which seem, that appear to make a valid statement about how the universe works. But that statement is subject to correction, either now or at any time in the future, subject to better or different evidence. It's subject to total cancellation or adjustment or, or validation. It's subject to all of these things. It's a tentative
2: statement that right. appears to be correct. Right. Yeah, the, the, goal, the goal is to get closer and closer to the truth, knowing that you will never actually reach it. No, of course not. You can't right. get anywhere near it. I often right. say to my audiences that one drop of
1: water... One drop of any selected water from anywhere you want to name could occupy a a crowd of scientists for the rest of their professional lives, and they wouldn't be able to say, now we know everything about that drop of water. That's
0: right. There's always deeper levels of uh, of knowledge and reality, and also everything is tentative, as you say. But I think there's another huge misconception that keeps cropping up is the difference between the authority of an individual scientist or an individual institution or an individual paper or study versus an evolving consensus of the scientific community. And I think like um, what you're saying, well, somebody reads a paper or a scientist has a certain belief or claim, and they think that they attach some sort of uh, authority to that. But in reality, that's meaningless because there are papers and scientists all over the map in terms of claims and beliefs and evidence. The only thing that really has any reliability, in my opinion, is a, a mature, established consensus of opinion that's built upon multiple, multiple independently replicated studies. Uh, but the the media, for sure, doesn't perceive the difference between those two things. They quote, or they,
1: or they choose not to,
0: or they, yeah, it's well, it's lazy and easy for them not to. So they just choose to cite expert scientist X, who who makes this fantastic claim, and that's a, that's a good enough authority for them, and they and they're not apparently bothered by the fact that what scientist X has to say is contrary to a very well, a deeply well-established uh, scientific consensus. So just one of, the many, one of the many hurdles that I think that we, that we deal with uh, in, in this arena of skepticism. Right, right.
3: I, I, to change the topic slightly, I was wondering, Rennie, in all your many years of testing, have you ever, after someone failed one of your tests, and they've all been failures, have you ever had somebody say, well, I, you know, I, I guess you're absolutely right. I, I have no such ability. I'll, I'll stop making such claims. And Have you ever had anybody react anything like that? Oh, yes,
1: certainly. Uh, it's never lasted. It's never <laughs> lasted. They, uh, it happened, for example, when we were doing dowsing tests with uh, multimillionaire uh, Dick Smith uh, in, Australia, pardon me, in Australia many years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. We did very comprehensive tests of these dowsers. We had 11 of them. And he got them all into his office. And uh, they're, they're all in a group there. And uh, he had to ask them the question. Now, we had the cameras rolling at the time. Uh, and he had to ask them a question. He said, I'd like to see my shell of hands. I'm trying to do my Australian accent here. <laughs> uh, I'd like to see my shell of hands. Uh, how many of you have, have, might have changed your mind now uh, about your dousing abilities? And uh, no hands went up. And then one gentleman made a tentative motion with his right hand, and finally did raise his hand. And Dick, of course, jumped on him right away and said, uh, you've changed your mind? And he said, well, he said, I really have to think about it twice now. He said, I've never had an experience like this, and I I have to seriously doubt whether or not my my belief in this is is really sound. And Dick turned to me with a big smile on his face. And the gentleman left shortly after that. They all disbanded, and we went on talking with the reporters who were there. And uh, Dick was, was absolutely giggling with glee. He carried on. He said, we've never had anyone reverse themselves. And I said, Dick, give him a couple of weeks, and he right. think of some excuse. Well, I was wrong on that. It only took him 20 minutes because he <laughs> called in. He stopped at a at a at a public phone on his way uh, out of the uh, the place where we were at that moment, and called in. and He said that he'd been thinking it over, and it was the walkie-talkies we were using at the time. This was many many moons ago, and he said, "Walkie, who now? <laughs> walkie-talkies." <laughs> Uh, that we were using because they put out an RF emanation. You see, right. okay. Uh, and He figured that's why he was wrong. Now, uh, uh, subsequently, he was tested in Perth, uh, Australia, the other coast of Australia, by Dick Smith and another group, and he he, he went right off the, the charts and negative results. He, uh, as a matter of fact, it was almost psi missing, if you know what that is. Yeah, right, 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 right. 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 Yeah. worse than than random.
0: Right. Yes. Uh, so before we forget let's uh, let's not forget to plug the amazing meeting 4 uh this is the the 4th annual amazing meeting which is run by the JREF and it's coming up at the end of this month January 26th to 29th and this is going to take place in Las Vegas. So who who do you have lined up for this uh, conference?
1: Oh my goodness don't start me. I'm Murray Goldman <laughs> Murray Gilman and Nadine Strossen and uh, all kinds of very, very interesting people. The uh, subject this year is um, science and politics and the politics of science. Mm-hmm. Uh, by that, we mean um, how well science does in politics and it's not doing very well because of the Bush administration, of course, right, which is right. science bashing left and right. Oh, yeah. And um, the politics in science is how people in science are subject to political pressures and uh, how they as academics, have to f- fight their way around and try to uh, evade certain restrictions that are put on them uh, uh, by the politicians out there. They they have to continue to get funding, and yet they can't say poo-poo words of any kind, or they're in big trouble. So it's it's going to be very, very captivating. And, of yeah. course, we've got Penn and Teller, and, of course, uh, Richard <laughs> Wiseman, and uh, we, we've got uh, Phil Plate of course, the oh. bad astronomer. He's, mm-hmm. he's a fixture mm-hmm. And um, we've got—I uh, mentioned Panemeter. Yes, we've uh, we've also got uh, the Mythbusters coming out, and uh, that shows uh, great. Are, yeah. Oh, not only great show, but they're great guys too. They you know, really are fun.
2: I've watched a bunch of episodes. I love the show. The guys look like a lot of fun. One thing, though, I wish that they would cover more paranormal topics. I know it's difficult because you have to actually build stuff that explode to make it interesting, but I wish they would tackle some more paranormal topics on their show. They're, they haven't hit many of them. Well, you know, uh, Penn and Teller are doing a pretty damn good job with <laughs> that. They point. are. They or, yeah, are. Yes. bullshit series. Oh, absolutely. Uh, certainly.
1: We, we've got some heavy people out there batting for us, you know?
2: Oh, I know, um, I know. I know. I just, great to see, I, love, I just love to see them tackle... Just it's not really a their shtick, though. I mean, they do no, more I with mean, urban
0: legends than with you know, right. hardcore yeah. paranormal yeah, stuff.
1: You, you have to understand that. But I must say the registration, we just got more registrants today even. Uh, <laughs> it's going to go right up to the wire, I'm sure. But it's going to have to cut off uh, very soon now. I don't think we could take more than than another 20 or 25, perhaps, because the uh, the big auditorium there will only handle... Uh, 710. So we've got Mm. to be well short of that.
0: So that's that's your well. So what what are you capping it at then?
1: Uh, Probably at 690 because there'll always be media people that have to be accommodated. Right.
0: So next year you're going to get a bigger place.
1: Uh, it looks like we're going to have to because uh, this is beyond our expectations altogether.
0: Are you going to keep it on the West Coast? Are you ever thinking of moving it to the East Coast?
1: Well, we're even thinking of moving it internationally, Steve. We're, yeah. going to, uh, we're, oh, wow. we're contemplating the idea of doing one in the U.K. That may mean doing two a year, mm-hmm. but it's a very good fundraiser for us, so that wouldn't be uh, out of the question at all. Uh, we've been promised all kinds of good things if we were to take it to England. Yeah. Because that makes uh, all of Europe, uh, they have pretty good access to yeah. uh, England and rather easily and rather cheaply. Uh, so it makes it very attractive to them. But we're just testing that market now.
0: I see. So you, you, you make money at these, at these conferences. Oh, yes.
1: No, we do very well. We, That's uh, great. It's about half
0: of our, uh, of our entire budget. Wow. That's interesting because PSYCOP is always complaining that skeptical meetings lose money. But that I guess that's just the way that they hold them. But
1: well, maybe, of course, we have the auctions and we have, yeah. all, we have the celebrity dinner. Uh, Jamie in Swiss, by the way. Well, of course, I, I failed to mention him. Jamie in Swiss is going to be there again. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but I don't know how many, I think we've got like four or maybe even five sessions with him that are sold out to the roof. We wow. actually expanded his audience somewhat, that is, made the, the permissible audiences. I think he only wants something like 30 people at a time, yeah. and we had to expand that somewhat because his ticket sold almost instantly.
0: Just out of curiosity, do you know, remember offhand, do you ha- is Chris Mooney uh, slated to speak? He wrote the book, The Republican War on Science. It seems right
1: up the alley. Of we the, ha- yeah. I think we went after Chris, uh, but he wasn't able to help us this year, perhaps next year. Yeah, he's a busy guy. Yeah. There's always a, a number. It's, uh, 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 Mr. Harris, what's his first name? Um, the guy who wrote, uh, what is it, An End of Faith, is it? Yeah, The End of Faith. What, what's his first name? It's Harris. Uh not Sam Harris. In, in any case, he will probably be helping us out Sam next Harris. year. <coughs> Sam Harris? Yeah, I believe it's Sam Harris. Sam yeah. Harris.
0: Okay. Well, it's, it sounds like it's going to be a great meeting. Uh, if any anyone listening to this in time, uh, you might want to pay a visit to randy.org and sign up, get one of those last spots. Unfortunately, we will not be able to make it this year. I definitely hope to, uh, to make a future meeting. And definitely, if you have it on the East Coast, we'll make it. So, are you are you working on any uh, books at the moment? Ah,
1: am I working on any books? For, <laughs> do, do Dolly Parton sleep on her back? Let's get real here. <laughs> uh, I've got two of them uh, in the works, and one of them is called A Magician in the Laboratory. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't have any problems getting publishers, I think, for that. No. Uh, nor for uh, another one, which is simply called Wrong! with an exclamation point.
0: <laughs> I like that. <laughs> to the point. Yeah. Uh, I assume that the uh, magician in the laboratory is about your investigations of, you know, more scientific studies or scientists that were bamboozled by paranormalists. Yes,
1: and uh, it will deal very in-depth with the Benveniste uh, event, as a matter of fact. Benveniste uh, uh, died uh, last year uh, very, very tragically on the operating table and brain surgery, as a matter of fact, Mm -hmm. and... um, so I'm I'm a little freer to say things that I, I might not have said before.
0: Right, right. Uh right, the dead can't sue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and in, in Europe the uh just as an aside, the um libel laws are, are very yeah. much more e- much more liberal. The, the the threshold is a
1: lot lower than in well, the United States. Well particularly in the UK. In the UK yeah. they're they're really medieval because you can literally sue someone for wearing a tie that offends you. Now, th- that doesn't mean you can wow. win. And right, it doesn't right. mean that the justice is actually going to, uh, uh, to allow it to take place. He's going to accept it. But it does mean that legally you can do such a thing. And people sue people for saying something that offends them in a, in a public speech even. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an astonishing set of laws. And it means you have to re- retain a lawyer, of course, and you have to go through all this expense.
0: So it's easy to file harassment suits,
1: Oh, yes, of all kinds. Uh, any kind of uh, uh, anything that uh, yeah. has a libel suit in the U.K., you can sue people for anything. Yeah, I mean, it's bad enough in the U.S., but
0: the U.S. has a more of a reasonable threshold for uh, yes, indeed. for proof. And you should
1: know that uh, Uri Geller has a very hard time uh, bringing civil cases in this country now.
0: Just because lawyers are unwilling to take his cases because of his track no. record? Or uh,
1: well, that's, that's one reason, I'm, I'm sure. But the other reason is that he was declared uh, by the Supreme Court... A, a, as being a litigious individual, mm-hmm. and that's all that a judge needs to know
0: mm-hmm.
3: when he's
1: deciding whether or not he's going to accept a, a case from someone. Oh,
3: good.
0: So that's the mark yeah. of death, huh? <laughs> the kiss of death.
1: Yeah, and we make sure that judges know about that. That's good. That's, right. that's good to know. That's definitely good. So we,
0: so we could feel more free to uh, to trash Yuri Geller on our show. Is that what you're saying? No, I didn't say to libel. <laughs> I, 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 I I didn't the libel. I didn't use the L word. I didn't use the L word. To to <laughs> discuss him in a T-word. in a serious
1: manner, let's put it that way.
0: In a, in a scientific and cold manner. Yes. Uh, I notice on your on Swift Online, an excellent uh, weekly online newsletter by the way, I must read for, for all skeptics, uh, for anyone intelligent actually. The, the the banner is very interesting. Again, this is a, um, a, a psychic fiasco. You have uh, the case of Robert Vanderbroek who is a Dutch alleged psychic who was giving a reading uh, on a television show, I guess, and um,
1: he did it too well.
0: He did it too a little bit too well. He he was he was spontaneously giving a reading of like a, the wife of a cameraman and saying that she had a past life. No, no, and, no well, yes, that's right. I'm right. Sorry. Go ahead, right. and and, yeah. uh, and gave details of the previous life, which were remarkably detailed, and it turns out that. Um, the details could be found on a, a website with a simple google search including he 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 reproduced a typo in his reading which clearly brands his reading as plagiarism
1: that he got directly from google yeah right
0: right yeah. so it's it's hard to argue with with facts like that
1: Well, there's another thing coming up which I I won't reveal now. It's going to be on next week's page, folks, so stay tuned uh, about uh, Robert with the two Bs. Uh, Yeah, Robert apparently pulled some other fancy stuff on them, uh, and that's going to be revealed next week.
0: Now, but you make the point uh, in your newsletter that... Um, you know, this is a, this is as clear as day. I think anyone with a, with a brain can see that this guy was just dredging information from the internet and regurgitating it as if he were, it were a reading, and he was caught red-handed because he reproduced a typo. Uh, but he's not going anywhere. I mean, this is not the end of his career because these uh, you know, pseudo-psychics survive these kinds of gaffes. Sylvia Brown will survive her gaffe on coast to oh, coast. Yes. Of course. Because the, the will to believe is just too strong. Even for well, it's, such... it's
1: not only the will to believe, it's the need to believe, yes. David. The yes. need. Uh, I used to say that people want these things to be true. No, they need them to be true because it fulfills their fantasies, it gives them a picture of the universe which is much more acceptable than, than reality, and they need it to be true. They need it desperately. And that
0: is an issue that that we confront often because you know frequently we find ourselves uh, confronted with people uh, who are who are just not dealing on a rational level. So we could make all of the scientific, rational, logical, evidence-based arguments that we want, but the fact is they believe for reasons entirely other than. Reason and evidence.
3: So, how do we get
0: through to these people, though? I mean, what, is there, do we just say, okay, they're, they're impenetrable to logic and evidence, so we don't worry about right. them? Yes, or is, we is, do. That certainly is the default, because it, I don't know of anyone who's really come up with a, with an, an, a good alternative. Uh, is there any way to get them to, at least in, in some cases, to perhaps fulfill their needs in
1: more rational or reasonable ways it it happens occasionally Uh, we always try to do that but it happens occasionally I've had uh, people call by here with a tattered copy of Flim Flam and say that they went through it in detail trying to pick holes in my argument and finally decided gee maybe the man's right and they came by to sort of apologize Mm -hmm. Uh, all they get for that is a hearty handshake and another copy of Flim Flam but (laughs) uh, nonetheless it does happen every now and then by and large the, the convinced believer will never be unconvinced because they just can't believe that they fell for something like that. No, I wouldn't fall for something like right. that. I'm not a fool. It doesn't mean they're a fool. It means they, they may be naive. It may also mean that uh, maybe they're not educated as educated as they might be or they need to be in these cases. It doesn't mean that they're fools, however.
0: Right, but there's huge cognitive dissonance when people yes. are confronted with the evidence, basically, that they have been led to believe something that is utterly false and perhaps even foolish. And there's, you know, there's psychological literature which shows that, for example, like in cults where um, a specific dated claim was made, the UFO is going to take us away next Tuesday, yeah. and next Tuesday comes and goes, and you know, to, again, to any thinking person, the the, uh, the, the claims were disproven following those kinds of revelations that should wake people up, people believe even deeper and will typically go on recruiting drives following those kinds of episodes.
1: Yeah, no, there's, a, there's an excellent book out on that subject by the way, yeah. When Prophecy Fails. I don't recall yeah. the name... Names of the uh, the co-authors, they're sociologists, but it's beautiful right. because the end of the world was coming for these people. They were absolutely convinced of it. They had given away their property. They were in the white robes and the sandals on the mountain. The whole, th- the picture that that you 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 dread happening again, but it will happen again, and it's happening right now. I'm sure someplace in the world, but then their rationalization after it all failed. Mm-hmm. It's just astonishing. It's hard to believe. Yeah. Now, I often, I often I quote a woman who stood up in, in an audience after i had had a question and uh, an answer period uh, following one of my lectures. And she stood up, and it was about the last question uh, that uh, was, was going to be asked. And uh, she said, Mr. Randy, if you'll pardon me, I think I've solved what your problem is. And there was a titter of laughter uh, around the audience. And I smiled and I said, well, pray tell, what is it? She said, I believe that you're over-obsessed with reality. <laughs> over-obsessed with and reality. And the audience <laughs> started, <laughs> tried, started to laugh and clap. And she thought that was approbation. She thought that, was, that, that they were accepting her. Right. That, that right. They, This was for her. And she <laughs> turned around and held up her hands and smiled at the audience and sat down looking very smug. And I I just paused for a minute and I said, you may be right. You may be right. She, <laughs> she, she clapped her hands, and, and she told me afterwards, she came to the foot of the stage, and she said, well, I'm glad I got through to you. I, I didn't make much comment on it. But yeah, yeah. But what, was what probably is still thinking, say. she's the one who got through to me.
0: Right. Now, Steve Pinker has something very interesting to say about the whole rationalization thing. If you, He's a, a um, psychologist at Harvard who wrote... Who we're hoping um,
1: to get for next year, by the way.
0: Yeah, he's excellent. I'd love to have him on Diskeptics Guide. Uh, but he, in his book, The Blank Slate, he, he writes about a lot of the, again, the, um, the neurology and psychology literature, which shows that most of the time what, the, what people do on a day-to-day basis is they believe things for essentially subconscious, emotional, hardwiring reasons. And then most of our conscious thought is spent not deciding what to believe, but rationalizing what we already do believe. That's actually how most people operate most of the time. We just believe things for what, for subconscious reasons, and then we are. Most of our cortex is spent just rationalizing those emotionally held beliefs. And I think what what we do as skeptics often is just really rawly show that process in action. Mm-hmm. Well, Stephen
1: no, uh, is brilliant.
0: Yeah, he is. He is. But it's very uh, very sobering to think about <laughs> the idea that. That's basically just human nature. That's how our brains work. Yep, is to that's the way it goes. And I do th- I do see. Um, you know what we what we do is skepticism in general, just you know science and reason as as uh, really the the best way to transcend you know the limitations of human nature. You know maybe that is the, the way we are hardwired to be, but certainly we can overcome it. You know just through the application of reason. And that, I think if there's a one sort of synthesis of our message, I think that that's it.
3: Randy, Andy? were you heartened by the recent uh, intelligent design decision out of Dover?
1: Oh, yes, but uh, we know that it's going to rise again. Of course, yeah. it's, it's one of those unthinkable rubber ducks as well. It, it's, it hasn't gone away uh, permanently, not by any means. Uh, I was heartened by it. Uh, of course, Pat Robertson told us that uh, that Dover better not appeal to God for, uh, for right. because <laughs> they've turned against him. <laughs> uh, and, and God is a little, he's sort of touchy on things like that from what I understand. But um, no, I, though I was heartened by it. That's not the end of the battle, not by any means.
3: No, but that that judge's ruling was was pretty scathing. I oh oh it, it was it was good.
1: Yeah. Not only that, he was a staunch Republican and yes. uh, and a church-going Christian. The whole thing, which shows that people who are in a position like that have to do what they were elected to do, and he did it. And my yes. hat's off to him. Kudos.
3: Absolutely, definitely, definitely.
0: It's true. These belief systems never go away, but we can have a victory in that they can be marginalized, and their impact and influence can be greatly marginalized. The good thing about this is that this is now a legal precedent, and uh, even though we'll never be able to get rid of. Creationism, as because because it's you know again it's a religious belief it's not a scientific belief. Uh, we could its ability to you know, influence public school education can certainly be taken away with uh, with these legal victories. So I think it's very meaningful these kind of victories. So James Randi uh, again the the James Randi Education Foundation. Uh, You can visit his website at randy.org. Randy, thank you once again uh, for being on the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe.
1: And uh, I must say, people will be tuning in sometime. uh, I guess it will go up on uh, February uh, 10th, according to my calendar here. We will have our own uh, podcast starting at at that time uh, of the year, and uh, we hope that people will be clicking in on us, too.
0: Absolutely. Again, it was a pleasure. Uh, we appreciate it. hope to have you on again sometime in the future.
1: Certainly. And thank you, Randy. Th- thank you. Thank you. Thank you, good, Randy.
0: Good luck at the amazing meeting, uh, and uh, hope, hopefully we'll catch you at one of those in the future.
1: As uh, Mae West once said, luck has nothing. No, she said goodness has nothing to do with it, but luck has nothing to do with it, Steve. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's You're right. hard work, believe me. Take care.
0: So that was great to have James Randi on the Skeptics Guide. Uh, I hope again we have him on again sometime soon. He is, of course, the probably the biggest celebrity in skepticism. If, uh, oh, if there is one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Well very, deserved. very entertaining. Very fun to talk to. He has a million stories.
3: He gets it. Yeah,
0: absolutely. He <laughs> gets it. Well, the hour went by very quickly, uh, as it always does, especially when we have such interesting guests on our show. But uh, the hour is up, so Bob, Evan, Perry, thank you again for joining me. Thank you, Our doctor. pleasure. See you See you next, next week, week, everyone. Until next week, this is your Skeptics' Guide to the Universe. The Skeptics' Guide to the Universe is a production of the New England Skeptical Society. For more information about this and other episodes, visit our website at www.theness.com. Theorem is performed by Keno and is used with permission. Last, last theorem let him far from the mainstream. Sleepless nights, slow days, problems, proofs, endless delays.